Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud, and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. And we're back for another shit-raking week here on All Fired Up. I'm so happy that you decided to come and listen to another episode. And if you're listening and enjoying, please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss episodes when they come out. So you can do that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're feeling really generous to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a really nice five-star rating, that'll help us get the message out to more and more people and we can get everyone utterly fired up. So just a few things before we start this week's amazing episode. I just want to let you all know about the free ebook that I have, which is called Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss is Bullshit. I wrote that alongside the incredible dietitian Fiona Willer from Health Not Diets. And in it, we're busting the top obesity, weight loss, dieting myths that are floating around in diet culture like bad smells. And we're unpacking all of this kind of stuff and giving you heaps of resources, lots of the scientific background that underpins the health at every size approach. So please go. As I said, it's completely free. You can download a copy. You can give it to friends and family, give it to health professionals, give it to anyone in your life that you think could benefit from hearing more about this message. You can find the ebook at www.untrapped.com.au or if you're on Instagram, you can find me on Instagram at, at untrapped underscore au and then you can click on the link in the bio and you'll be taken to where the ebook is so you can get it that way too. Also, if you are struggling with this whole kind of concept of being at peace in your body in diet culture, there's two offers that I have for you. One of them is called Befriending Your Body. This is like a little mini e-course that I've just released, which is essentially 10 days of emails, which help you kind of recognize where you're at with your body and to kind of come home. And it's based on self-compassion meditations. So every day for 10 days, you'll be sent like a little love letter, a self-compassion meditation, which invites you further into your body. And by the end of the 10 days, there's much more of a sense of body peace and you'll have much more awareness and knowledge of what it's like to actually be in your body and being more, much more able to tune out from those nasty thoughts that we get from diet culture about our body's appearance and what we look like and stuff like that. So it's a pretty cool little course. You can grab a link to that at through my Instagram account. So again, at untrapped underscore AU and click on the link and you'll be taken to the Befriending Your Body page there. So I really encourage everyone to go and pick up a copy. It's really cheap. It's like less than $50. So it's a nice way if you haven't done anything yet to really dive into this area, it's a nice introduction and it's really effective because self-compassion training is a real invitation back into our bodies, which is something we lose thanks to diet culture. And of course, the untrapped online course is something that I always need to talk about because I think it's so incredibly awesome. So Befriending Your Body is a mini e-course, but the untrapped online course is much more comprehensive. So in Untrapped, it runs for three months. And if you sign up, you'll be taken through this incredible adventure of how to wake up from diet culture, how to identify diet mentality as it's happening in your head, how to push back and reject it. You learn heaps of stuff about mindful and intuitive eating practices, as well as dealing with things like emotional eating. And I wrote this course, not just with myself, but with 12 other health professionals who work in anti-diet spaces. So we've got some of the greatest minds on the planet here to help you. After you learn about the intuitive eating stuff, we turn to joyful movement and how to untrap from exercise prison and learn how to really embrace and identify what it is about moving your body that feels good and going after all of that kind of stuff. And then we turn into subjects like health and social justice and the importance of community and Untrapped just gets huge at the end when we're talking about stuff like that and we're talking about really tackling head on this whole concept of being at home in your body and embodiment. So I don't think 
there's many courses out there that are as comprehensive as Untrapped. So I'm pretty proud of it. And I also love the online community that we have attached to the Untrapped course. So everyone that signs up becomes part of our very top secret Facebook group. And it's so awesome in there because people are always connecting with each other and learning with each other. And just last week, someone posted up a video of them smashing their scales with a jackhammer, which I thought was just pretty cool and pretty awesome. So if if you are looking for something pretty comprehensive, untrapped.com.au find us, join us. I'd love to see you there. So that's it for all of my plugs. And now let's get started with this week's conversation. I'm so excited to bring you a bit of an Instagram celebrity this week. Her name, you might know her at I am Adriana. So Danny Galvin. Danny is a real Instagram influencer in the space of fat activism. And my gosh, she is so awesome. So she's always on Instagram in fabulous swimwear, doing awesome stuff, basically being fat and unapologetic and happy and embracing life. And she's always got some really interesting stuff to say. So I'm really happy to bring you this week's conversation with Danny because we go there. We're talking about the, the subject of trolls on social media, which, you know, trolls just suck, don't they? They really kind of occupy the bottom level of online society. And I'm aware that in the fat activism space, the trolling is particularly heinous. And I thought it was a subject that we really needed to talk about. And of course, Danny gets it all the time and she's sick to death of it. So we've had this fantastic conversation all about trolling and what it's like to be in the fat activism space. So without any further ado, I bring you this wonderful conversation with me and Danny. So welcome to the show, Danielle. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me what's firing you up at the moment. Firing me up is trolling on my Instagram account. (laughs) (laughs) Which happens like, what, once a week or... I don't know. It goes through periods. Now that the algorithm's changed, it's kind of backed off a little bit. But like, it also kind of depends what I post. Like, different days bring different things. But I suppose, like, you could probably say it's like daily, if not like multiple times a day. Oh my gosh! Because you're you're very active on Instagram, and really, what you're promoting on your Instagram account is fat activism, which is fantastic and just so incredibly needed in the space. But multiple times a day, you're getting trolled. Yeah, like usually in my DMs or like in my comments, I have a pretty like block hard block and delete rule. Like, I'm yeah. there, I, there is certain gray areas that it's hard to know whether to delete someone or like engage in conversation with them. But usually, what I find is if somebody starts off like in a really hatred, vile place, that trying to change their mind isn't it's just a waste of my time because yeah. <laughs> really they they're just kind of like saying the sky is red the sky is red and you know it doesn't matter how many times I say it doesn't make it true so yeah like I I have a pretty hard block and delete rule to be honest yeah I guess you have to put up that kind of really strong boundary just to yeah. stop the the torrent of like it's hatred really isn't it trolling yeah I think the the funny thing is people always say, well, you know, you put yourself out there, so you put yourself open for criticism. And as much as I agree with that, and as much as I, I agree that there should be freedom of speech, for me, there's, there's not really freedom of speech without consequence. And mm. if you're coming from a really like hatred, bigotry, you know, if you're a racist or if you're someone who's like really harmful to other people because of their identity, in my opinion, you don't really deserve to be on my page because it's Mm. it's content I create. And as much as, yes, it's on Instagram, I have control over my account. So see Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See you later. Block and delete. But there's there's a serious difference between criticism or, you know, debate or, yeah, and even disagreement and trolling because the trolling literally is driven by people who just don't like fat people in this case. Yeah, will like do anything to to sort of sort of destroy people's mental health and get them off Instagram. That's that's what I figure they're trying to do. Is do you think that's what's the motivation behind it? Yeah, I think it is, but I also think that a majority of people who troll online have kind of deep seated issues within themselves. It doesn't mean they don't have a responsibility to be held to those actions, but I think it's a similar thing you see in like kids that are bullied, like normally kids that are bullying other people. A large majority of them are going through some type of bullying or harassment or violence themselves. And while the people who do that should be held to their actions, for me, part of me 
not worrying about them or kind of forgetting about the impact they have on me and my life is just reminding myself that like I get to go back to like a happy, safe, loving community and family and friendship group. And who knows what these people truly feel about themselves or their lives deep down. And as much as that doesn't excuse their behavior, because I mean, I've been hurt before I get trolled. It doesn't mean that I troll other people. There is a level of responsibility, but also like what happy person or person that has like engaging stuff going on in their life spends time on the internet, like hating on other people that they don't know. Like it's just a really Mm. big thing. Yeah. That's a very, very compassionate way of looking at it. Yeah. I think, don't get me wrong. Like I get angry about it and like, it does frustrate me. But I think forgiveness is a powerful tool. And like, I've always been a believer that forgiveness is for you, not for the other person. So like when you forgive other people, you're also selfishly helping yourself because it gives you like an ability to kind of let go of the impact a little bit. That's kind of how I deal with it internally, but it doesn't mean that like online, I'm not outspoken or vocal about it. No, no, we got to push back and sort of name it. So you get a lot of direct message trolls. So that's all hidden, isn't it? That's not even on your public Instagram account. What sort of things do they do on direct messaging? I get a lot of people that send me links to like sites like Reddit or other like anonymous internet sites where people can like upload photos and just like bully and harass people in the comments and think it's like funny. So Mm -hmm. I get a lot of like weak people who just send me links to stuff. And if I just get a link without context, I know it's always bad. Or I get a lot of people just like coming into my DMs, like saying that I'm like promoting obesity and that like I'm a liar or just random shit that people just make opinions of me based on like the fact that not even they, they haven't even read my captions or had a look at any of the resources I create. They just look at my body and make assumptions, which is pretty common for society to be honest, but at least read the captions before you troll. My God. (laughs) Yeah. I think the thing with them though, is that they've already kind of made up their decision and that the few things that I do online by like being an outspoken, happy, fat person just pisses them off. It doesn't matter what I have to say or how intelligent I am or what I have to talk about. It's that their anger about the fact that I'm insisting in this body and not being ashamed of it just pisses them off. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Like to think that, you know, so Reddit is like the darkish side of the web where it's like the trash can of (laughs) yeah where all of the like hate groups gather and it's Um, the grossest place like the thing that frustrates me is like I get that like what they do to me online is horrendous but like there's still pages on there about like being like fully racist or like say like a lot of my comments on reddit when they're about me is like oh I wouldn't even rape her or kill her with fire like shit crosses a line that is just like I wouldn't even say that to like my worst enemy like I don't understand why you would say that about stranger online it's just so odd it's so hate-fueled it's it's not normal human behavior to talk like that yeah but yeah, there's the, it brings in the elements of like violence and yeah. real misogyny into yeah. it. Yeah, and that's why I majority think the majority of people that hate on me are probably white dudes, probably between the ages of maybe 14 and 30. You know, those dudes always seem to be angry about a lot of stuff, which is really interesting to me considering like they're one of the most privileged groups in society. Like what the fuck do you have to be mad about, dude? But yeah, like, like yeah, yeah it, it's just, I think for a lot of them, especially when it comes down to, sexist comments or comments about sexual violence it's not really about like the sexual side of it for them it's about control and power and for them to like be so derogatory to me and to other women online it's not really about sex even when people like come into my dms trying to hit on me or be like hey baby do you have a boyfriend it's not even about them like sexually wanting me or like anything to do with sexual stuff it's literally them just trying to assert their power over me yeah yeah they're like powers they're like predators and yeah. circling you and making you feel unsafe. Exactly. And like it, the element of sexual violence in it is just another way for them thinking that they can control women because they've been taught that that's what women are for rather yeah. than anything to do with their sexual identity. I think, I don't think it has anything to do with actually being interested in women. I think it just has a lot to do with Yeah. 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 Early on in my career as a clinical psychologist, I actually worked with sex offenders and rapists and I know talk about, talk about work experience. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. That that the 
this is about power. This is not about sex. It's completely different. It's better. It's using sex as a tool of power and intimidation and control. Yeah. And it's just incredible to think that happens to so many people like you. Because, I mean, my hat is so off to all of the fat activists who are on Instagram and social media because it's so incredibly needed to see bodies that are unapologetic and with a voice and with opinions and just giving this message to the world. Yeah. It's just so needed. But to think that every, like almost all of you suffer from this kind of trolling on a multiple daily basis, like that's another instance of constant trauma that it just upsets me that that happens. Yeah, it is. It's not easy, but I think a lot of fat people online are kind of, once you get to the point where you're that outspoken and you don't give a fuck anymore, a lot of that shit kind of doesn't, well, at least for me, it doesn't bother me as much anymore because the amount of microaggressions that I've received in regards to my body over my lifetime are like a billion or if not more. So it's (laughs) like, if I can get through that on a real life basis, it kind of just like gives you more fire to keep going. The thing that's hard for me is that I think because of the such divide and the anger and the violence against people online that are outspoken and fat is that it kind of silences and diminishes other fat people who maybe are not at that point yet in their life and kind of can Mm. make push them a little bit more back to like diet culture centric thinking because they think, oh, I really don't want to, I don't want to be the victim of that. And so it's easier to conform than it is to kind of break out, which I totally respect and understand. Mm -hmm. And I know that for some fat people, you know, they're not even at the point of like self-compassion or self-care that they need to be to like even think about the other topics that I speak about. So as much as I find camaraderie with other fat people online and like I love my community so much, I know that for a lot of fat people, sometimes my content can have the opposite effect, which is difficult for me to deal with because I don't want them to feel that way. But everybody kind of has their own journey of getting out of that bubble. (laughs) I just need to respect that maybe this, that my content isn't a route for them to do that. And that's okay. Mm, Yeah, it is a real journey, isn't it? To go from God, I hate the word journey. I can't believe I just said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> process, it's a real process of going from like internalized diet culture where like yeah. I've been pummeled with the thin ideal and fat phobia all my life and I kind of agree with it. Mm-hmm. And then sort of waking up to it and realizing that actually it's quite damaging. Yeah. And then sort of rejecting diet culture and sort of going down the anti diet path. And then you know, it, it really takes a long time to, yeah. and then everyone ends up at different places. Like yeah. not everyone that wakes up from diet culture will end up a fat activist. Yeah. And it takes different timelines too, you know, like for me, like, I don't want to say end of my twenties, but I just turned 26. So I don't think I could say mid twenties anymore. And that makes me really depressed, but <laughs> <laughs> age is just a number. So yeah, I, Like for me, I probably kind of started this journey at like 18 once I started to go to therapy for like my eating disorder. And so like 18 to 26 and now like in the last year and a half, I only feel like I'm starting to more get a solid foundation of like what my morals and values are around this. But at the same time, I'm not naive thinking that I know everything because I definitely don't. And I know in another five years, I'll evolve to different thinking again. I think what's hard online, especially in the body positive community, is there's a lot of people who expect everybody to be at the same level and have the same resources and have the same time and have the same experiences. Fortunately, that's just not the truth. And expecting people to know everything about the body positive community or be anti-diet or be pro-fatness or, you know, pro-weight neutrality or pro-weight inclusivity is like really naive because you're not only dealing with like ideology around like societal conditioning but you're also dealing with like very very deep emotional scarring and trauma Mm. and regardless of what body size you are everybody's experienced that on some level so it can be really hard for a lot of people to step back and like not only acknowledge their privilege but also kind of deal with their own shit Mm. yeah to, to like learn more if that makes sense yeah yeah it is really important to remember that it's like a process for everybody yeah. and that like, I guess it's sort of the concept of like psychological diversity with where everyone's at yeah in and terms I really, of body diversity 
like as someone who's like a big therapy advocate, I really wish everyone could just do like CBT on diet culture for like the next 10 years and like <laughs> we could all get free of it. But realistically, I know that's not for everyone. So yeah, yeah, no, but it, it, that's a great point. And that's kind of what I do, I guess, is help people use cognitive behavior therapy yeah. stuff yeah. to understand the messages that we've been taught and to contrast that with what you really think (laughs) and and it's hard right because like unlike other things where we're deconstructing ideas around capitalism or around bigger like identities that we kind of even though we know we're involved in that process we kind of think of other people diet culture is us right it's our feelings it's our experience it's our trauma it's our diet it's our it's our relationship with our mothers with our sisters with our brothers so it's like Mm. to try and untangle the cognitive from the emotional is like the first step and some people don't ever make it past that and that's okay you know like I don't expect people to do that because that's really really difficult but like trying to get to that point I suppose is like the purpose of what I do online in a very like over like big picture kind of way yeah yeah and that's incredible that you do that because you're letting people know how big this can become yeah. And yeah. also it's just about, you know, also validating that emotional history because I feel like to get over that trauma and anger of diet culture, you have to go through the grief stage. You have to go through anger. You have to go through denial. You have to go through all the stages of grief because so many of us are tied to our identity of our body size or our performative diet culture behaviors that to let them go, you really have to go through a grief process. Yeah. And a lot of people don't let people recognize that, you know? Right. It's more like you've got to wake up and become completely into the acceptance stage. Yeah. Um, or like wake yeah. up and be body confident every day. And what I struggle with that messaging is, is like, regardless of how far you move away from diet culture. So like at the moment, I'm the furthest away from diet culture I've ever been in my life, but I don't wake up every day fucking happy with how I look. Like that's, mm-hmm. it's not a realistic thing as a human to be fully body confident or like in love with yourself 24 seven because mm-hmm. different things affect that, you know, whether you're on your period or whether you have, you're sick or whether you're tired or whether you're stressed. So it's about honoring and riding those emotional waves, but not letting those kind of thoughts and behaviors eat into your self-worth or create behaviors that are unhealthy for you. So it's about acknowledging that the reason you feel like this isn't your fault because it's all the societal messaging you've had your whole life and Mm. not giving validation to those feelings, but at the same time, not forcing yourself to try and be this like happy, confident person a hundred percent of the time, because it's not realistic. Yeah, no, that's really quite bizarre on like some of the social media accounts about body positivity, meaning like always being in love with your appearance is extreme. It's it's almost like another diet culture demand. Yeah. And for me, it kind of, you know, I majority of the time probably sit in body neutrality, right? I don't hate my body, but I'm not like in love and obsessed with my body. However, like I respect my body and the needs that has physical, emotional and mental, right? So For me, sitting in that neutrality and knowing that like, and kind of knowing that my beauty is not a commodity that Mm -hmm. I can use as self-confidence or I can use as self-worth, that I need to find other things about myself and my life that Mm -hmm. give me that integral self-worth is like way, has been way more easier for me to maintain long-term than trying to step into this, okay, I'm a body positive activist now. So I'm like totally in love with myself hundred percent of the time, you know, like, I want people to feel body confident and I want them to love their bodies, but it's also unrealistic to do that all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I always, um, I talk to people about values as well, like finding your value. And if your value is sort of something to do with body respect, mm-hmm. then that doesn't mean that every single day you'll feel very close to that value. Yeah. Any more than, yeah. It's, it's always going to wax and wane. And it's just yeah. sort of knowing that when you're farther away from the value that you can do stuff to help yourself get closer. Exactly. And like, like how you were saying, there's a lot of people on social media who like sprout this new, like body confidence, like love yourself all the time kind of rhetoric. And I do think that's scary for some people because for some people, they can't even step out of hatred to have a, have a moment of neutrality about their body. So how the hell do you expect them to be like, Oh, I love myself. Like it's just not realistic. And it just sets people up for another kind of failure that if you're not loving your body, if you're not celebrating your body all the time in these certain ways that you're not positive or that you're not doing the right thing Mm. in the community. And the whole black and white spectrum of some people's thinking in this 
working out diet culture and untangling it from our emotional response, I think sometimes can damage people more because the default is diet culture and it's easier to be performative in that. It's easier to be in the real world of society that's telling us all these messaging because that's everything we're reinforced every day. It's really hard to stand up and say no to that, let alone try to wake up and then love yourself. Like that's so impossible for some people. Mm. I just that we'd give people more time and flexibility to kind of not only cognitively but emotionally work through this shit because I think a lot of people think that, oh, they see my account and they think that I just woke up yesterday and like discovered some like magic potion that like made me like super happy. And it's like, no, I've spent like since I was 18 and my whole life, all of my experiences now have led me to this point Mm. and it's going to look different for you. So you need to have patience with yourself. And I think we're all as humans, not very good at that at this, like in this time of day, like we're not very good at patience and waiting and Mm. going through those ups and downs. We're not good at being in a process either. We either want to be at the start or the end, but we're not good at kind of like accepting that we're learning. Yeah. And like for Mm. me, like I think that's what I want to be in for the rest of my life, like that learning stage. Because I think the people who get to the point where they're like, oh, I've learned everything and I know everything, like they just end up unhappy because they're constantly fighting against these values and thoughts that may change over time. Mm, yeah, I'm deeply suspicious of people like that. Who, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, the more I learn, the less I know. But, yeah, I agree. You know, I think that's wisdom. So I don't know. So when you said that the phrase you used a couple of times is being performative in diet culture, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? So I suppose like my friend Imogen, I heard her on a podcast once describe it and it was like the best way I've heard. is like, you know, when you're at like a birthday party, and there's a whole bunch of like women there and you cut the cake and they say, oh, I couldn't eat all that. Could you please give me a smaller piece? Yeah. Or someone says, oh, I'm going to have to go to the gym tomorrow to work off all this party food. <laughs> That's like performative diet culture. That so, makes me so angry. Yeah. So whether or not they're actually going to go through with that behavior is not really my concern, right? Mm. My concern is like, why do you feel the need to say that in front of a bunch of other people? Why is that a topic of conversation and what do they think that means? So to me, it's kind of like, oh, I really want a piece of cake, but I'm going to make this excuse to make sure that they know I don't eat cake all the time. Or Mm. I'm going to show them that, you know, I'm enjoying this food, but that I'm going to, you know, make up for it later. Right. I'm going to display like the right amount of guilt around this food because we all know it's bad food. Uh Uh-huh. So all of that is really performative. And unfortunately, in a lot of circles of friendship or a lot of families, that's rewarded behavior, right? Totally. It's met by people agreeing. It's met by people saying, or it's met by people saying, oh, no, you don't need to go to the gym, right? It's all reinforcing, Mm. no, you're good. No, you're good. No, you're good. Mm. And the thing is, is like, why can't we just go to a party and eat the goddamn cake and just be like, wow, this is really tasty. Or like, I'm really enjoying this. Like, I think. The morality and emotionality around food and exercise behaviors, when we're in, particularly, I suppose, as a woman and having been in a lot of friendship women circles, a lot of what we talk about around food and exercise is performative to gain acceptance. Yes, we're all taking part in this little pantomime of, yeah, yeah like that we're and all it, being like. It's the repeated, you know, right? Like you, mm. you saw your mum and her friends say it, or your auntie, mm. or your grandma. And it's built in generationally and we don't even question it anymore. It's just yeah. this idea that when people get together and there's food involved or weight talked about or beauty talked about, that we need to diminish ourselves in front oh. of others in order to be a good person. Oh, that's beautiful. We need to diminish ourselves in front of others in order to be a good person. Yeah. And it's rewarded by other people doing it about themselves. And also there's some people who sit in that discomfort of diminishing themselves in so that other people start to say, oh, no, you are beautiful or no, you're not fat. Or, you know, it's all this like touch and go talking about stuff that's actually not what we're talking about. Like it's all performative in the way that we're doing it to gain acceptance from others or to fit into what we think we need to. Yeah, we're all going along with that norm of diet culture where thin is always good and fat is always bad. It's super dangerous. It's the same way as like 
I, a lot of, I have a friend who's a fat person and she went to lunch one day with salad because she's vegan and she really likes salad. And someone said to her, oh, good for you eating a salad. Oh, fuck like, what the fuck? <laughs> Oh, she didn't kill cancer. Like it's not like she did anything that was worthy of her congratulating her for eating a salad. Like she just likes salad. I think <laughs> this, this idea that food has like a moral equivalent and has, it's kind of like, have you ever watched The Good Place on Netflix? No. Okay. So The Good Place is like this show with Kristen Bell in it. And it's like about the afterlife. And the idea is that throughout your life, you get certain good points and you get certain bad points. Mm. And wherever your points end up at your time of death is whether you get into heaven or hell. And <laughs> the, thing, the thing that I feel like with food is that we think that the more we eat these good point foods, the better humans we are. And it's just not <laughs> like It's just not true. It's classist. It's ableist. It's so many like demoralizing so many marginalized groups from the conversation. And it's performative. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's why when Instagram first happened, people used to take photos of their food because. Oh my it, gosh, yeah. It's ingrained in us that what we eat kind of equals who we are. Mm, yeah, or our intentions. Yeah. Who, who we're going to become if, you know, because when you're a fat person in diet culture, how does the performative stuff show up? So, performative stuff for me as a fat person is kind of adhering to like this good fatty, which I've heard you talk about in your podcast and I talk about on my Instagram, this like ideal of being a good fat person. So for example, like if I tomorrow decided to turn my Instagram account into like a weight loss account and I was like documenting my food and showing me exercising at the gym, I would get so many comments from people being like, oh, good on you, at least you're trying. It would be like all the people who would normally hit on fat people would suddenly like me because it's like, oh, at least you're trying. Like when in reality, whether a fat person or a thin person exercises and eats is their own personal information and it really says nothing about whether they're a good person or not. And I'm hoping that the reason they chose those choices are, are for fulfilling themselves and if they're not, more often than not, it's because of societal pressure, you know? So for me, yeah. like the performative diet culture for fat people is just adhering to the fact that we're always trying to lose weight. Mm, yeah, the that, fat person is, is allowed to be here as long as they're always trying to get thinner. Yeah, it's like the quote unquote, there's a thin person inside of me trying to break free or some shit. Uh, it, yeah. It's this idea that I can't start living my life or completing goals until I meet that one goal, which was a big thing for me growing up, especially when I had my eating disorder. Like I literally had a list on my computer of things I wasn't going to let myself do. Before. Really? Yeah. So like one of them was get a tattoo. Like what the fuck? That's so weird. One of them was fall in love. One of them was um, go on a holiday. One of them was wear a swimsuit. Like all these rules I had that until oh. I lost it, I wasn't worthy of. And now being 26 and completing pretty much that whole list as a fat person, it's like, oh, like you can do it whatever the fuck you want. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And you have some of the best swimmers like I've seen. And like, <laughs> I'm going to put up a list of where you buy them from in the show notes because wow. yeah, I reckon they're awesome. Yeah. But, yeah. Like so many people have that list, right? And yeah. how long did you not do stuff for? Probably from like 11 to 20-ish, 11 years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like my, I don't want to make light of my situation because mine was obviously not just performative diet culture. I had significant exercise addiction and I also had eating disorders. So like a diagnostic psychological condition, I wasn't, I suppose there's a lot of people out there who are acting in performative diet culture that perhaps weren't at the extremities I was but what scares me is that like you know the statistics that say like one in four people that go on a diet will end up with an eating disorder yeah yeah, you know what would you say because um there's like a lot of talk in the eating disorder health professional community at the moment where they're now talking about eating disorders in people with larger bodies and claiming that dieting does not lead to eating disorders what do you think of that I'm hesitant to say every person who diets will have an eating disorder because I don't, I definitely don't think that's true. But in my personal experience, and that's all I can speak from, dieting was like a gateway drug for me to end up in the place I ended up. Yeah. So without, if you hadn't dieted, this might not have happened. Yeah. And it was more reinforced 
from around. It would also be the fact that if I didn't grow up as a fat child, maybe I wouldn't have had an eating disorder. But also, like, it runs mm-hmm. in my family genetically as well. Yeah. disorders uh, do. So I think that has a component to it. I think, like anything in life, like, there can be a genetic and environmental Yeah. Thing happening at the same time and it's really hard to kind of magnify where that's coming from I think what people are hesitant in the health professional community saying like oh dieting doesn't cause eating disorders is because now the fact that we are starting to talk about larger body people experience eating disorders they don't want to promote larger people not going on diets I know it's ridiculous it's like it's kind of like us saying like oh you know if you're in a like I think that was my experience a lot with my eating disorders whenever I'd reached out for help or when people found out about it I was always told oh you're taking it a bit far but you're doing really well keep going you're taking it a bit far yeah so like you're doing really well (laughs) yeah I remember the school nurse saying to me because a couple of my friends had found out about it and they had told us that I was throwing up at school and they told the school nurse so I had to have like a meeting with her you know how they like Hmm. do that or whatever and she said to me, I really don't like this throwing up stuff, but the fact that you eat so healthy, aka not eat at all, and go to the gym like so often is really good for you. So you should keep that stuff up. Gosh, yeah, yeah. Just lose the really like obvious diagnostic category. Yeah. Like, keep the subclinical stuff. Like yeah. And the-, the thing was for me is like because I had friends in high school who were also going through eating disorders. That's kind of the only thing we had in common, right? Oh. Um, eating disorder people attract other eating disorder people. Yeah. So I was friends with them and they were very, very thin girls to the point where people would like worry and cry over them. And I was going through the exact same behaviours and everyone would be like, wow, Danny's really trying. I mean, like what does that do to you? Like what kind of message does that give you when you're suffering with an eating disorder and yet... For me, that's what added to like my suicidal ideation. So... I want to make it clear, like I never attempted suicide, but towards the end before I got professional psychiatric or psychological help, my last two years of having an eating disorder, all I thought about was wanting to die. Oh my and God. It, it wasn't because I wanted to die, which I think a lot of people that have had suicide ideation relate to. It was that for me with my mental health, the pain and the thoughts, I could not turn my brain off. It was almost mm. like I was a computer and I could never press restart or update. I mm. never had a break. So I just wanted it to stop. Yeah. And in my brain, because I'd reached out to so many people and because so many people either doubted me or belittled me or made me feel as if I was making things up, yeah. I just didn't want to exist in this brain anymore. And that's where a lot of people end up. I think the dangerous thing with the DSM that I've never agreed with from the get-go is Mm. the idea that it's the only psychological disorder that has a BMI attached to it. Oh, it's so fucked, yeah. And what you're telling people when they go to hospital, when they go to the doctors, is, you know what, you're not really sick enough for us to help Mm. you. Mm. So Mm. keep going until your brain is so overcome with behaviours and thoughts and obsession Mm. that Mm. there's no turning back and then we'll try get really sick so we can diagnose you and then we we, someone going to a psychologist for depression and they'll be like oh when you attempt suicide come back and then we'll see what we what help we can give you absolutely and of course then they wonder why eating disorders have the highest death rate of any mental illness and the highest death rate is caused by suicide and in my opinion Mm. you don't have to be any certain size to commit suicide right so why are we delaying help and assistance to people who are clearly struggling when we could be helping more people. And the thing is too, it's like the fact that we're just starting to look into larger body eating disorders, the statistics on eating disorders, imagine if we actually admitted how many people in larger bodies have eating disorders, how many people would actually have an eating disorder? Oh, Um, it's actually, yeah, it then becomes probably more common than depression. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is that at what, the thing that I struggle with is when people say, Going back to your question about when people say do diets cause eating disorders, mm. for me, the thing that I struggle with that is, is like at what point are we giving that hard line of, okay, this is now an eating disorder. Even turned into an eating disorder? Yeah. yeah. Where's the line for that? And the line at the moment, because of the DSM and the current diagnostics that we are like basically bound to, the line is weight driven. 
Yeah, yeah. We have to abolish that BMI as a diagnostic criteria yeah. for all of the eating disorders and, and we have to treat them yeah. as if it's not attached. And on average, it takes someone with an eating disorder seven years to recover. Mm. Now, that number goes up the longer you've had an eating disorder. Yeah. And the longer you've had the eating disorder, the harder it is to overcome that and the mm. higher risk of suicide. So whenever I went for help, which was, I don't know, probably every second year that I was a teenager or tried to tell someone, every single adult in my life that had found out about it treated me as if, oh, well, you know, you're not anorexic like anorexic girls. So oh. that's nothing to worry about. Yeah, that high nine years of my life in utter hell, hating high school, hate, even though I was a really sociable academic pretty awesome young person I could not see any of that and I was just drowning in myself and the thing is yeah I went to therapy but like that was really a roll of the dice like any if something else had happened that day or if my best friend hadn't forced me to go I might not even be here Mm. and I might just be another statistic of people being like oh yeah she was just an unhappy depressed teenager no I had other shit going on like oh my gosh so you went you found a therapist who actually got it yeah, my therapist I still see yeah. <laughs> since I'm like, God, like seven years now, eight years. I have had breaks. So like she moved away for a period of time and I went and saw another psychologist who was amazing, but I just didn't really click with and back to Kansas. And then I went and saw her again. Like, I think the, the scary thing for me is that she was the first like proper psychologist I'd seen. Like I'd seen counselors before, like through school, but yeah that was like kind of mandatory and like not, Yeah, I wasn't ready to like get better or even admit that I was like unhappy. So when I saw Danielle, she has the same name as me. Excellent. Um, (laughs) When I saw my therapist, she like got it and was so understanding. And like, I really think though, like what if I had seen someone who like dismissed me again? Yeah. Yeah. What if I had seen someone who'd been like, it wasn't a big deal or didn't take me serious or didn't want to help me? Would that have pushed me over the edge? Do you know? Like, I don't know. And the thing is, not every psychologist or health provider gets it because I've had so many negative experiences with those industries. So I just worry about other people that do reach out for help because it's like, as much as our mental health system is not the worst in the world, I think we have a long way to go to actually wanting to achieve actually helping people. Oh, especially with weight stigma in eating disorder treatment. Yeah. 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 And like, so much of mental health and like, especially with weight stigma. And like, that's the thing too. I've gone to the doctor before to get another referral for a therapist appointment because I have anxiety. And my doctor told me, oh, if you lost weight, you wouldn't have anxiety. Oh, thank you, doctor. Yeah. Oh, great. It's like for fat people, I say this a lot to friends of mine and online is that fat people aren't given an identity outside of their weight by Mm. these types of professionals. We're all the same. We all have the same behaviors. We all have the same treatment plan. Mm. And the fact is, is that just like thin people, we're all different. Crazy. I know, but (laughs) (laughs) we're all different. So the idea that one size fits all is like really fuck. It's just, I know. Yeah. That's why like whenever I talk to a doctor or like when I've done certain interviews and stuff, I always say to people like, maybe we should reanalyze on whether these obesity related illnesses, as you so call it, even though all thin people also get those diseases, (laughs) righto. Maybe it's not like, maybe I don't get heart disease or diabetes because I'm fat. Maybe I get it because everyone keeps telling me I'm fat and everyone just stresses me the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I just get it from, you know, we don't know how our emotions play into stuff. And we all know that certain stresses and certain anxiety, especially around trauma, bullying, violence, whether that be mental, physical, or emotional, which I think a lot of fat stigma falls into, causes health problems. Oh, so, yeah, we know that. There's a lot of, there is some research, which I'll pop up again in the show notes to show yeah. that the experience of internalized weight stigma has exactly the same impact on biomedical health as that attributed to body weight itself. So pay attention to that. Yeah. The hard thing for people like us and people who get it is like, we're shouting this shit from the rooftops and it just seems like people just don't give a fuck because they're happy with the way that the current system is working. Right. Because for a lot of people, it gives them a sense of privilege and power over other people. And it also creates a different class of people that, you know, they can feel sorry for, they can feel like they're better than. 
Yeah. And that's really fucking sad that we still live in a world where we're like kind of happy to accept oppression on certain marginalized groups because it affords us a privilege that those groups don't have. Yeah, it's very depressing. Recently, you went pretty bravely (laughs) onto a TV show about, they did a piece, I can't remember the name of it, it was like body positivity and obesity, is that what they called it? I think the actual piece is called like Fear Not Fat or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. on the feed, which um, they had you on there and they had some of the biggest loser contestants who had regained all of their weight Mm-hmm. who were kind of talking through, I mean, they they really demonstrated the internalised weight stigma yeah. and were talking very much about how, I mean, that, that it was fascinating because they were saying that after The Biggest Loser, they all put on all of the weight again, but they, they hadn't changed their eating habits or exercise habits. The weight just came back, yeah. which we know, we know that, but they blamed themselves for it. Yeah. And I think the hard thing too is that in that program, there was a lot of talk about bariatric surgery or sleeve surgery we had Um, dr dixon who is like king of the humans here in surgery who he spreads on the one hand a great message which is you know the weight will come back no the thing that frustrates me with him it's like it's almost like he's 70 percent there oh yeah and i'm like you are so close like dude like just (laughs) just at the end he sticks his head right back up in the sand (laughs) and says you know diets don't work so surgery on everyone Yeah, and I think the thing is, like, for me personally, when I've looked at the certain research around surgeries, especially with weight loss, I don't feel like there's enough research yet in terms of long-term effects. Yeah, we did a whole whole podcast on that, how it's not that great either. Yeah, and also the as a fat person personally, and, like, I know that a lot of fat people make this choice for them, and I do not judge them in any of the slightest, and I'm not trying to say that it's their responsibility that they're the bad person in this scenario. But for me personally, when I think about that surgery, it just feels like the most like awful and like dehumanizing process to be told we have to take out a majority of your stomach yeah to fit into these things like I just yeah it's a horrifying message yeah yeah, it's just so to me it's like so sad that we're at this point where it's like okay that's the last ditch effort and a lot of people talk about health but Mm. like I don't think that the health things that they think they're going to get out of it, they're going to get out of it. No, well, we don't have any proof of that. And we also have a, like a lot of proof on morbidity and mortality when we separate health behaviours out from actual body size that, you know, the grunt work is done by health behaviours. So if you are moderately active and eat lots of fruit and veg and you don't smoke and you drink moderately, you're going to have the same life expectancy. No, like, thing that frustrates me is like, I don't understand why humans have such an obsession with health. So I get that we all want to live long, healthy lives, right? Like nobody wants to go through pain or diseases that hurt us or hurt the people around us. However, it's almost like, so my theory, which is a bit weird, but go with me. My Mm. theory is like back in the 19th, 18th, 20th century, so many of us were in a religious organization, right? So like we subscribed to a certain religion, we went to church, we believed in that. That was something that we gave as our moral compass, right? Yeah. But nowadays, a lot of people aren't religious. Less and less people are going to church or becoming more spiritual in different ways. And it's kind of like we've let food and weight and morality around that be like almost our absolution, right? Yeah. Health is the new religion. Yeah, if we do X, Y, Z, we will be good people and therefore our life will be meaningful and it'll be long and it'll be happy. The reality is that not everybody has a long life and some people are born chronically ill or some people have chronic illness and they still have really fulfilling, awesome lives. Yeah. To say that people who are unhealthy or people that don't make good health choices, whatever the fuck that means, (laughs) it's just really damaging to other people, especially those in the disability or chronic illness community because they're still living really fulfilling lives and they're not healthy. However, Mm. the difference between that and especially obesity or weight stigma is that we're blamed for that right yeah it's a choice so, yeah. yeah it's a choice whereas you know if there's someone who has a chronic illness that they were born with that's not a choice so we get to like make them an inspiration or feel sorry for them which is really fucked up in the sense anyway I know. Um, but for fat people we don't get that and like how you were saying with the difference between like health choices it's like i wish that we could just abolish the bmi because it's bullshit anyway mm. and this word obesity just really fucks with me because oh, yeah 
for most people who are generalized non-health practitioners, they'll label people as obese or overweight who maybe the connotations that come with those labels don't actually fit their life. Well, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like saying, per, now they're using person first language, person with obesity. Yeah. Which is like, it just seems to me like they're saying person with tallness or yeah. person, or person with red with hair. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's super damaging. And the reason that I don't like this, the obesity epidemic rhetoric is because it puts all fat people and larger body people in the same category and basically says that they're the same person. And they're all diseased. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like you can catch the fat. And like also having this idea of obesity epidemic or fat stigma just actually makes thin people unhappy too, because it reinforces the fact that, oh, I've got a diet and I've got to be performative with my health because I don't want to be one of those fatties. That's right. It keeps us terrified of fat, whether or not we are fat. We're all scared. Yeah. It's really, really awful. Did you catch Dr. Dixon saying, like he did a a perler of a comment where he said something like, not everyone is accessing bariatric surgery, Yeah, which is an example of weight stigma. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how he quite got there. He's kind of saying because poor people can't afford bariatric surgery, that's because of weight stigma. So, like, there's just a real misunderstanding, I think, in his head about what weight stigma really is all about because he's so stuck in the idea of larger people being a disease. Yeah, and that's the thing that frustrates I mean, I'm not a health professional, so I can't speak for that community. But what frustrates me about health professionals in my experience as a larger-bodied person or just as a person in general is that I know that they need to look at facts and tests and all of that information that they have that has existed in medical journals forever. But it's very rarely you come across a health professional who actually wants to know what your experience has been and what you think about your body, which is really interesting to me because I think we're all experts on our own bodies and what feels normal to us. Mm. Um, Not really given any gravitas in the medical community. It's like, whatever you say to me, unless it shows up on tests or unless it's like documented or unless I have preconceived ideas about it, it's Mm. not true. And that's, really fucked up for a lot of people, especially for fat people, because we have no voice when it comes to health professionals. I've just found a health professional GP who I actually love and is like weight neutral and like finding her in Cairns is like, you know, like the holy unicorn of life if she ever is going to like be so <laughs> But like the amount of times I've been to the doctor, like I went to the doctor once for birth control and like I didn't have high blood pressure, right? And mm. they didn't give it to me. Really? Yeah. And they said, oh, well, you have a higher risk of stroke because you're obese and you have, and I've got, I was like, I've been on birth control for three years, haven't had any blood clots or any stroke issues or any warning signs. And also I don't have high blood pressure. So why won't you give this to me? They refused to give it to me and maybe had a meeting with the nurse about nutrition. Shit. There was another time I went in for an earache and I got told if I lost weight, I wouldn't have an earache. I <gasps> that is just horrendous. Yeah. I went in one time and they were like, oh, can we do a general health checkup? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. My cholesterol was fine. My blood pressure was fine. All my blood tests came back fine. Everything was all good. And then, yep, nothing happened. Then like halfway through my teenage years, I was having heaps of period problems and I got told, oh, that's just normal. Come to find out this year, I get diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and my insulin levels are almost pre-diabetic, not because of any lifestyle choices, but because I have PCOS, nobody picked it up. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? When doctors and the health professionals don't listen to someone's story and listen to someone's symptoms. Yeah. All that they're all. And the biggest biggest way that they do that with fat people is just like once we walk in the room, they feel like they have an obligation to tell us our BMI and tell us to eat healthy and exercise, even if we're already doing that. And Mm. anything else we've come there is just like a B-side thing. It's so depressing. It's honestly like the when you sit down and think about it as a fat person and you really think about like how we're treated in a microaggression way and being told like, it's for your health. We really, we want you to be happy and healthy. It's so fucked up. I know to be mistreated for your health, for your health benefit. That's just, it doesn't make any sense. And that's what I think John Dixon doesn't get. I'm so glad that you were there on that story in the feed because you know, I think because I feel like my parts were just like, I'm fat and I'm happy. What else? (laughs) I know you were kind of like it was like they didn't really know what to do with you yeah I was like I was like so I'm fat but also I'm awesome and I do all this other shit and they're like yeah but like what about your fatness and I'm like yeah I'm fat yeah. what else I know and they, they really didn't know what to do with it and they were so much more familiar with the narrative of like having the larger people there crying and talking about how awful their lives were 
and, yeah. and I didn't so not because I haven't had hardships or I haven't struggled with my weight or it's not something that makes me emotional in terms of like the hardships I've been through. But I really just wanted to be a person on there being like, look, I'm fat and happy. You can be too. That's going to do so much good because it's so needed because we just again and again see the story of the larger people just being always a before shot, always miserable. And to yeah. see you and your like smiling, happy face and your gorgeous bikini and just like, yeah, everything. Yeah, I, I remember when you said, I eat what I want. And like the, it was like a pause, like they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And it was just so great. And I know that people watching, okay, they'll get 90% of the rhetoric and the, the dicks and stuff, but there's you. Yeah. And that hopefully, you know, I reckon that's going to wake some people up. I hope so. I mean, that's all we can really do online, right, is like share our part of the story and our opinion and hope that it finds people that it resonates with. But like, I just hope that a generation or two generations from now, if my grandkids or kids are fat, that they don't deal with the same shit that I did. Because it's just, it's so demoralizing. And it's just so like, it just demonizes someone as a human who like, has body diversity and just looks different. So unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's why you do what you do, I guess. That was going to be one of my questions because, you know, we started off with like, how hard is it to do what you do with all the trolling? But, you know, what drives you? Is it that kind of stuff that you want to create a better world and something? Yeah. I mean, when I first started my Instagram, it was mainly just to raise awareness about eating disorders in larger bodies, um, which I still do touch on, but being in such... I'm kind of someone who subscribes to the idea that I'm always in recovery, kind of like an alcoholic, but I'm in a very highly recovered part of my life. So I'm super, super, super stable, but I never, I don't like to label myself as fully recovered because I think that that sets me up for failure at times if I have thoughts or if I have feelings or if I have moments throughout my life that I maybe feel more inclined to that part of me because it still exists. Of course. Yeah. 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 So I... I, that's what I wanted to do, but I don't talk about it as much on my page anymore because I am so highly recovered. And sometimes if you bring up that trauma all the time, um, you can get stuck in past trauma. So even though it's not happening to you now, it can emotionally, it can feel like you're in that place, which I don't like like doing to myself. Yeah. But you're also, I mean, you're just, you're just growing and you're maturing and things are changing and like, you know, your story's changing just like all of our stories change. Exactly. So yeah, but nowadays I kind of just, I want to give people a safe haven on the internet of someone who's fat and happy that like lives a pretty like normal life, you know, like Mm -hmm. I have all this stuff that I do online and it's so amazing and I'm I'm so grateful for all the opportunities, but like I live in Cairns in a small town, like I have a normal job, I have a normal family, like I have two dogs, like that's my life, like, and I just want other fat people to know that they don't have to be on this like track of self-hatred or like trying to shrink your bodies to like start living that happy life because it already exists you know they just need to step into that so good yeah Yeah. oh thank you for all you do I love following your Instagram account and seeing how much of the time you're in the pool (laughs) which obviously is a cans thing I mean year round you can swim (laughs) (laughs) so good but yeah uh, just thank you because your voice is so important and it changes the lives of a lot of people so yeah (laughs) wonderful so good to chat to you thank you again and I'm sure we'll talk soon thank you bye a big thank you to Danny. I'm so blessed that I got to have that chat with her. She's just a, such a formidable force in social media and so incredibly needed. And as I said before, my hat is totally off to all of the fat activists out there who are unashamedly and sort of bravely sitting in a space where all the trolls lurk and all the hatred tries to push back at them. And I'm just grateful that people like Danny exist and thank you for everything that you do. And if you want to find out more about Danny and everything that she's doing, you can find her at IamAdriana.com or on Instagram where she is very present and does a lot as we were chatting through. You can find her at IamAdriana. So that brings us to the end of another podcast week and I will be back in another couple of weeks with a fresh pile of steaming diet culture bullshit for us to break through and I cannot wait for that time. But until I see you again, make sure, of course, if you're enjoying the podcast that you do subscribe so you don't miss them when they pop out because sometimes I'm a little bit late. (laughs) So make sure uh, that you have subscribed so you don't miss them wherever you get your podcasts from. 
So I'll be back in two weeks. Take really good care of yourselves. Please get in contact with me at louise at untrapped.com.au if anything's getting up your nose and we can have a chat about it. But look after yourselves very well. And until I see you again, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture. Untrap from the crap. 